Welcome to the J2 Hub podcast, where we focus on everything from property development, hot entrepreneurially business topics, and real-life scenarios facing business owners just like you and I. Brought to you by James Sahota, we bring you exciting real-life property, business and entrepreneurially related hot topics, and that little bit more. Hey James, how are you doing mate? Let's get you added in. Hi, right, right. Hey buddy, how's it going? I'm good, can you hear me? I sure can. Let me turn the volume up. Looks like you got a special shirt out just for me. Mate, always dress you up for you. I, I was going to you... say, I've seen the shirts have been pretty pretty plain this week. That looks like a special one. Yeah, I got the, uh, got the floral out just for you, mate. Oh, mate, I appreciate it. I'm um, all dressed up ready for my afternoon tea. <laughs> you see that? That was lovely. I look mega, mate. I'm jealous. I gave, I gave, um, gave Mary a little prod and I showed her and said, you know. This is what James is eating. Yeah, this is what James has been having this afternoon, but uh, no such luck. Oh, mate. How are you doing, man? Are you all good? I'm all good, mate. I'm all good. I'm all good. Yeah, yeah. Having a good day. Just uh, quite looking forward to this, actually. I've not done a live before, so... Yeah. Uh, well, uh, try not to uh, let the cat get your tongue or anything like that. Or, oh, uh, that's that's impossible, mate. That's impossible. I should have been a barrister. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I think we've got we've got a decent number of people in here, so should we uh, jump in and get started? I'll um, I'll just do a quick intro. So we're on to week two now. Um, mindset and motivation series. So if you've ever seen our profile, you know that mindset's a big thing to us. We post a lot of. Um, quotes and things like that 50 percent of what we posted all about um kind of keeping positive keeping moving forward so we decided to do this series um if you've joined from james's side on instagram i'm andrew from elite investor group we're architects by profession property investors by choice we invest in hmos up in leeds and for the followers that have come from my side i am joined by the lovely james sahota who i will let introduce himself Hi guys, yeah, as Andrew said, I'm James Sahota. Um, I've been in property now, I've always dabbled in property for the last 15 years or so, but full-time in property for the last probably 18 months to two years. Um, concentrate on new builds in London and our HMO strategy over in um, in the Northeast. All right, okay. And I mean, you got a, um, what about your podcast, mate, as well? That's it, yeah. Oh, I forgot, almost, almost forgot about that. Yeah, so the J2 Hub podcast uh, we try to get out a podcast every single week, if not two. Um, it just focuses on talking to individuals on a property journey, or it talks to individuals that are just doing something very inspirational that might relate to somebody out there who might get a bit of an uplift, a bit of a boost, or just kind of help them in the right direction. Uh, we recently started the Property Duo podcast, which is myself and Tej, my partner in crime. Apparently, he's the bad cop, I'm the good cop, although I think it should be the other way around. Ted loves to abuse me because of um, me being a little bit older than him. Um, but it's all a bit of banter. And we've been told that we've been delivering some really valuable information, which uh, makes the whole slagging each other off uh, even better. Yeah, I managed to catch up on last week's one. Yeah, but the two before, I think, have been um, been great, really good. And especially with the kind of weekly updates, just so people can really understand and see how you're, um, how the better you're progressing on a week-by-week basis, especially with the current situation. I think it's really good. Thank you. Thank you. No, really enjoying it. Uh, really, really enjoying them. So the immediate 
number one question that I have to ask is, what does the H mean in James H. Sohota? Because it's been killing me. Oh, Je- Je- so my 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 name my my name is James Harper Sohota, but everybody knows me as James, so I, I go with James. Plus, it's easier than actually remembering my uh, my middle name. Well, so yeah, that's, that's what that's what the H stands for. Nothing exciting. Uh, I thought I was waiting for some epic, meaning. like Herbert. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking like Harold or some James. Hump, Humperding. <laughs> but that could go up. All right, okay. Well, let's. Um, I want to delve a bit more personal into your kind of background stuff because you're used to being the man asking the questions. So I, I want to know. Uh, I want people to know a bit more about you. So can you tell us a bit more about your background in that kind of, I suppose, pre eighteen months to two years ago when you got full time into property. Yeah, sure, I can do. Yeah, so I did the kind of usual route, went to university, listened to my mum, got myself a degree. Um, yeah, so my background is uh, product design, uh, did a master's in industrial design, and I am actually a qualified teacher that people get quite shocked by. Uh, you know, it's uh, I used to like teaching. It was my way of entertaining. My crowd was the classroom. Um, used to have quite a lot of jokes doing it, but I, I just really, <laughs> yeah, I realised very early on that it was a, uh, it just wasn't going to be something that was going to give me what I wanted in life. So um, alongside my teaching career, somebody once said to me, they said to me, James, look, why don't you, um, you got this printer that you got sitting around from university days, like every design student would have had an A3 printer. I'm sure you probably had one being an architect student. Yeah. It was just kicking around and someone said, hey, why don't you, uh, why don't you sell some pictures on eBay? Like, you know, some pictures of some cars. So Back then, copyright wasn't that hot, so we just went on to Google, got some nice, high-quality images. And to my shock, I couldn't believe it, we were selling like A4, A3 pictures of like Ferraris, classic Ferraris for £10, £15 a pop. I thought, this is good, man. This is beer money for the weekend. But what happened was that beer money soon grew, and you know we were doing uh, maybe a couple of hundred quid every day. And then it got to a point where I was actually doing more through my eBay store as my side hustle was being I was paying I was earning more money than I was earning in teaching so the kind of penny clip for me I thought hey man why am I wasting myself away in a classroom when I can just be literally I was making money while I slept because we were selling all around the world when I slept I'd wake up in the morning and I'd have shit loads of orders and I'm thinking <laughs> man this is such a great life and on, and on top of that I'd have my um uh, I had my um my teaching salary coming in as well so There'd be some months where I'm sitting there with seven or eight thousand pounds at the end of each month. And being a young 20 year old, I'm thinking, man, I was flashing that cash. I can tell you right now, you know, (laughs) being a single man, I was out there champagne popping, doing whatever you do in those nightclubs. I was having a great time. But we started taking the business a little bit more seriously. And I started investing into bigger bits of kit, Um, started it in a very, very small kind of bedroom, very small bedroom, just myself. Uh, moved it to my front room in my house. I expanded. <laughs> I then bought my kitchen into it as well as my packaging area. And then I thought, you know what? Just before I got married, I thought, you know, I, I, I've got to sort this shit out, man. I, I, I got I got to move out of the house. So I got my first industrial unit. It was about a thousand square foot. Um, and we started full on production there and we became a proper, proper company. And it just grew, you know, it just grew into a monster after after the first few years, the thing with me, I just kept reinvesting everything. For me, it wasn't about taking all the money out. Yeah, I'd buy myself a nice car. We'd have a few nice holidays and stuff, but we just kept re-pumping it in, pumping it in, pumping it in. And before you knew it, um, about six, seven years down the line, we're in a massive 20,000 square foot warehouse. You know, we've got two and a half million pounds worth of kit. Oh, and I'm still asking myself, 
how the hell did this happen, James? How how did this go from just trying to raise some beer money to being a full on business where you're working with, you know, marketing departments for the likes of Guinness? We were doing stuff for Facebook. We were doing stuff for Google headquarters, printing floor graphics. We would I even remember we were doing jobs for TFL after hours because they'd only let you work kind of like one o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the morning. I was walking into train stations and we got an abseiling crew that are hanging graphics. And I'm thinking, I used to sometimes think, I think <laughs> either I'm just a master of blagging or we've been doing something really, really good for the last few years that um, our talents have been spotted and really some big agencies started to use us. My aim with that business always was to create enough noise that I would be a massive threat to some of the bigger players uh, that eventually somebody would buy me out and employ me on a huge salary and I'd have the ideal job. I'd have shitloads of money in the bank from selling the business, but I'd still be in control without having all the hassle of yeah. um, having to deal with um, uh, kind of running the day-to-day of it. Yeah, yeah. When I went into the print field, Andrew, it was, um, it, you know, it was a, it's a traditional English man's field. And being a, being a young Asian man, it was, um, there were some barriers to be broken, you know, for me. I kind of, I reached out for advice and, yeah, there were some nice people who wanted to talk to you, but it was always a, it was a bit of a taboo kind of field to be in back then. So even for me, that was more of a driving factor that I thought, you know what, uh, I need to try and make myself stand out so I can really start to to kind of bust this industry and, and make the right noises. And I remember we were we were making the right noises because I remember being at trade shows and people would be like, oh, you're James. You're the one who stole that Facebook account from me. Or, <laughs> oh, you're James, the one who's now doing the Google account we had for the last five years. So it was a uh, it was all really, really good stuff, mate. Really, really good stuff that we did. Would I say I had a life, a kind of home life balance? No, I had no work-life balance. It was just work, work, work. There was no home life. It was just work. I mean, it was so intense that I could be working straight for three days, four days, and I just didn't care, you know. Um, There'd be times when I wouldn't sleep for four days, but all I could see was them order sheets sitting on the wall, and I'm looking at them, and they've gone from being, you know, back when we started from being a few hundred quid to – 20 30,000 pound an order sheet and when you've got 300 grand staring you in the face on a wall full of orders somehow sleep is the last thing in your mind I realized that back then it was the driving factor was all money and it was all wrong so yeah. um it was that would you say that was the main driver that pushed you then towards property or was there other other aspects as well no no so so I, I was always dabbling in property alongside and it was strange because any major bits of profit would make big bits of profit would always pump it back into a deal. Um, And I remember, you know, I say dabble in property. We were doing some kind of real nice, interesting stuff along on the side. Like we did one of our first deals was a was a commercial to residential kind of planning uplift. So we bought a uh, we bought a shop in Croydon with a flat upstairs, uh, bought it off a woman who inherited it, actually. And she. You know, I don't don't kind of judge her, but she was she's one of those women who's just been skint most of her life, kind of just month to month, paycheck to paycheck. So she really wanted to sell it, uh, which put us in a nice advantage because we bought it at a nice discounted price. And all we literally did was for six months, we worked with the council. We got planning to turn that shop into a I think it was a two bed flat. And we ended up selling that and making one hundred and thirty five thousand pounds on it just for putting a piece of paper on it and about. Yeah, and about five. Yeah, yeah, and about four or five thousand pounds in fees. 
So I, I then realized, and I thought, looking back now, I made most of my serious money out of property. You know, print was good, but turnover is something, you know, but what you're left with is what that counts. Um, so sadly, two years ago, actually two years ago to the day, we had to put the business into voluntary liquidation. So we didn't go bust, but we had to put it into liquidation. Now, when you grow a business aggressively to the size it gets to, you kind of, you see all the sales coming in, somehow you forget that there's money going out as well. And I laugh about it now because I can laugh about it. But um, back then, we realized that it was costing us nearly, I remember it was costing us about £78,500 a month before I put a penny in my own pocket. And I'm thinking, all you need is a couple of quiet months and you're in trouble. So two years ago, or just before two years ago, I got um, I got pneumonia. So I was down and out out of work for quite a long time, maybe I think eight or nine weeks in total. Oh, wow. Now, this is where shit hit the fan because um, I wasn't there in the business because I was very much working in the business, not on the business. I wasn't in the business and I had some disgruntled employees and they um, they took the piss and we lost three of our biggest accounts, which which equated to be about a million quid. And when I came back, it was kind of like, all right, what do we do now? Yeah, we can cash flow ourselves for the next six months. But what happens after that? And when you've got clients that are spending spending a million pounds of your year, they're not clients that you can just get back like that. You know, they don't just fall out of the air. There's a lot of relationship building that goes yeah. into that. Yeah. And it took many years of kind of building that relationship, lots of drinks, lots of meals, lots of networking, doing lots of exciting stuff with these clients. And as soon as we lost them, it was kind of like, okay, what do I do now? It took me five years to build that client base up. So I did the sensible thing rather than kind of letting it drag on, drag on, drag on and drag on. We decided to voluntarily liquidate the firm with um, minimal debt so that we could kind of uh, pay people that we needed to pay and kind of walk away from it, which to add was probably the most painful thing I've ever had to do in my life. Yeah, I can imagine, mate. Well, but I mean, you say you can laugh at it now, which is, which is good. And I can, quite often be the case that you look back on things and whilst they might still be hard you can kind of uh, see see the uh, more positive sides out of it and things like that like what what kind of lessons did you take out of that like situation because it's I mean you, you, whilst it was your own business it's a it's a really good example of that whole working you know having a passive in, a income or an income that's not derived not derived from you trading time for it because you say you were you were off sick for eight to nine weeks and uh, because you weren't there to put the effort in, that's when things started to kind of fall apart a little bit. Well, what I can tell you is, looking back now, I had I had the wrong information. I had the wrong education. Now, I don't claim to be a business expert, and I wasn't yeah. back then. Um, the, the, the sad truth is, six months before we went into liquidation, sorry, a year before we went into liquidation, we actually looked at getting ourselves a coach. And, you know, James being, uh, you know, James, he thought, no, 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 we don't need none of that nonsense. We don't want to spend 25 grand on a business coach. What's he going to teach us that we don't already know where the guy's making the money? Yeah. And um, when the business went bust, we actually, um, we actually, I actually went away on business coaching. You know, I went to business coaching to find out where things had gone wrong. Now, most people would do this while your business is still running, not yeah. after it's disappeared. But for me, I very much wanted to find out where things went wrong. And while the while the wounds were still so raw and so open, I thought now's a good time. So 
I went away. He invited me over to a, for a coaching session for kind of an hour complimentary session. I sat there, and then at the end of it, he goes to me, James, you look, you look very emotional. You look very, very upset. What's up, buddy? I said, listen, everything you've just talked about in the last 50 minutes could have saved my business. You know, you talked about hiring the right team. You talked about hiring when you don't need to hire. You talked about, you know, having a marketing strategy, having a sales strategy, having this kind of strategy in place. And I just thought, had I done all this stuff or had I bought in some professionals when we had a load of money, it would have been it would have been good. You know, it would have been totally, totally different. Would it have given me more time to myself? I don't know, because I was very, very much in that business. That business. Oh, I've lost you, James. Is he going to come back? We've lost James. Let me see if I can get him back in. Everybody, questions while you're waiting? Try and keep some chat going. How's everyone's day been going today? Bit extreme pilot my property. Who's the next guest after James? So tomorrow we have got, and as would you believe it, he's just joined the live as well. Tomorrow we have got uh, Jack Eskin-Taylor joining us, who is from um, the Joe and Jack Show podcast. Uh, I think he's going to be a really good guest. I'm really looking forward to looking to speaking to him tomorrow. Um, what do you think will happen to house prices post-COVID? Uh, who knows? I think we need to understand when it's going to um, gonna, when it's going to end. Really, um, if lockdown starts to get eased in three weeks, then um, I, we, might, we might go through kind of get out of this without much of a blip. Um, and if it is, it might be temporary. If this kind of uh, social distancing continues all the way through till um, January, as they're talking about. Um, you know, who who knows what that impact will have on it? Because whilst we might be able to buy houses, um, I'm sure there'll be a reduction in movement with people not being able to do viewings and things like that. Um, 41 New Zealand, any advice for someone in New Zealand doing what you do, wanting to do what you do with design and development? Are you referring to when you say design and development, you mean as in? Um, background in architecture or in terms of wanting to do HMOs and stuff uh, whilst I'm waiting for you just to reply to that question um, we actually did our original training in um, when we were living in Australia 
and um, the uh, what we were told there was to either move, go and invest in the UK. This was taught to everybody as well, not just us being Brits. Um, it was taught to everyone to either go and invest in Australia or to go and invest in New Zealand. Um, obviously, very different markets and very different um, ways that they work. Let me add James back in. Obviously, different markets and different ways that they work. Um, so I'd either just um, look at the options that are available to you in New Zealand Hey James, just answer some questions, man. I'll wait you to come back. Well, I don't, I don't know what happened there, mate. I was, I was free flow there. <laughs> yeah, so either look at some options for what you can do in New Zealand, which might be more like flips or standard buy to lets. But there's no reason to stop you. We have, we have friends from Australia that invest in the UK. There's nothing to stop you from being able to set up a limited company in the UK and invest through that limited company into um, HMOs and stuff like that. Anyway, back to James. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm good. I have no idea what happened there, mate. My my internet was dodgy or something, so I've got I've got 4G on as well at the same time. But like like I was saying, there were some important lessons that I took from that business, and it was like the importance of education and the importance of training and knowing, you know, how to run a business. You you can't be a Billy Big Bollocks, you know, and think that you know it all because you don't. You don't. And the young James thought he knew it all just because you have some success early on and you earn some money and you've owned a few flash cars. It doesn't mean that you know everything and I think it takes something like this to really shock you and to fall on your back and to, you know, really fuck up in life to to kind of realize that, hold on a second, I need to get my shit together because this is somebody telling me if you don't sort it out now, things are just going to get worse. You know, so I say to anyone until, you know, I don't wish it upon anyone, but if you've fallen on your back and you've lost everything, that is a great place to be because you're looking up again and you've got nothing. and You're starting from scratch. And it's not a nice it's not a nice place to be when you see, you know, like a tow truck arriving outside your work premises and they're loading up your cars and you think, man, you know, for number one, you feel like a right twat. And secondly, you're emotional through all this. And thirdly, all your neighbors know you're skint because all your cars are being taken away. And you're like, oh, my God. <laughs> now everybody knows what's going on, you know. So it was it was a very, very, very emotional time. The first first month i probably spent every single day drinking just to ease the pain and then i quickly snapped out of that because i got two young kids and i thought you know what i gotta sort myself out um and i think following on for that it was my wife who said to me she said look you you know you own that plot of land you've got a plot of land that you've bought you've never ever done anything with it why don't we build a house on it like you've always planned to build a house on i was like okay this sounds good so it pretty much started from there. Like, you know, I had to pick myself up amongst the pain that I was going through at the time, amongst all the heartache and amongst all the emotions and, you know, trying to rebuild yourself and uh, realizing along the way that you actually don't have any friends. So I always say, if you ever want to lose a friend, lend them some money. Or number two, if you ever go bust or I say go and bust or voluntary into liquidation and you lose your business, you'll soon realize that everybody who was around you they were just like flies around shit. They're just there for the ride. They're there for the good times. They're there to borrow the nice cars. They're there for a free handout because when you've got nothing and you've got zilcho and you've got zero, they're going to be the last people to want to help you out. And I told somebody this story last time. I can't remember where it was. It was speaking to someone on a live uh, on a Zoom call. And I said, the only person who offered to help me out was my barber. My barber turned around and whispered in my ear. He's this Turkish man. He doesn't earn a lot of money. And he said to me, James, 
I've got 10 grand. I'll give it to you to help you out again. And I walked out of that shop and I, I'm not afraid to admit it now. I got in the car and I was in tears to think, you know what? There's this one guy who I see once a week to have a haircut offering to save my ass. All those people that I was having nice, nice nights out with or we were, we were away on trade shows, having good times in nightclubs after working and stuff. Where are they? Where are they? You soon realize you've got no friends when you fall to the bottom. And your closest companions can probably be counted on your first three fingers. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you, I, I love talking to you, James, because I love your energy, mate. I love how, you know, you kind of, you come with some positivity. And was that something that you've, was that something you've always had? And, you know, you managed to kind of pick yourself up through all of this because of that positivity? Or is that something you've had to kind of, um, you've kind of grown into? Um, I think I, I've, as a kid, I was always one of those kids that was, I was always inquisitive, you know, I'm always sitting there trying to work things out. I'd be that kid that wanted to take the TV apart and, you know, break it just to see what was inside it. I couldn't ever put it back together again, but I was always wanting to do something. Even, even now, Adra, I can't, I'm not one of these people who can sleep in. I'm not one of these people who can massively binge on Netflix. I've never, ever been a gamer ever. Yeah. Um, so recently I picked up a Nintendo Switch it's only because my little uh, my four year old was playing with it he's playing Mario Kart and I'm thinking oh what is this had a little go on it and I could see I was I was getting into this and I thought no 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 there's no way at 38 that I'm getting into gaming because that could be a bad move <laughs> so so yeah growing up I'd say um, I've always been a go-getter I've always been quite positive uh, always tried to look at the brighter side of life I've never been one of those people who would sit there and say oh why the fuck has this happened to me why has this happened to me you know, even when I watch my pride and joy get driven up on a tow truck, a 150 grand car, and I'm like, I didn't say, why has this happened to me? I was like, I know why this has happened to me, James, because yeah. you fucked up. You messed this shit up. At the time, don't get me wrong, at the time, every single staff member was to blame but myself. But ultimately, what people don't, for don't forget is, or what you forget is, the buck stops with the guy who runs the firm, the guy right at the top. It was 100% my fault. And even then, at my lowest point in life, I was still positive and I could see, I could look in the mirror and look at myself and say, this has all happened because of you. And I think if you can do that, you can change yourself. But if you spend too much time being negative and thinking, no, 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 it was, it was Dave's fault or, you know, Johnny fucked this up or Johnny did this and James, it wasn't your fault. You were real. You were in the hospital bed. You, how could you possibly have known? I could have really painted a, a better picture for myself, but I didn't. I painted the truth. And I think that's what has allowed me to quickly get out of this and grow again. I really appreciate you sharing all that, man, because uh, obviously um, I'd imagine that's a difficult time for anybody who's ever been in that situation of kind of winding up a company. And um, yeah, I think to be so open and honest about it and give some, some um, maybe harsh truths, but very real advice to people that, you know, like you said, it's about looking in the mirror and the book stops with you. And I think even if... Um, you are an employee and you think there's a boss above you that the book stops with, I think you should still have that mentality with everything you do that it's your responsibility and it's it's gonna come back onto kind of your head even if you even if there is someone that can get escalated to. So I think it's good advice for people to hear for sure. You mentioned in the chat before about not having any work life balance or sorry, work family balance. Have you have you started to find that a bit more in property and how have you managed to create that balance? Uh, yeah, I am. I am. Don't get me wrong, Andrew. I'm still, if it was up to me, I'd be in this office for 15 hours a day doing what I want to do. But um, 
we've had to kind of create that balance because I think, you know, for the last, me and my wife have been married 12 years and I would say 10 of those have been very much about work, 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 work. And I think only now that I'm in a new profession um, that it's starting to balance out a bit. But having said that, it's probably me balancing it out. You know, I uh, I love my Trello boards. I love to have stuff organized now and I'm the worst for it. You know, my uh, my wealth dynamics personality test says that I'm just a creator. I don't do anything else. I, I'm shit with paperwork. I'm shit with this. But I've kind of trained myself and forced myself to really try and get some kind of schedules together where I know what I'm doing before I do it. So I know where to pencil time in and where to do stuff. But yeah, I kind of, I don't think I've seen, you know, I've seen so much more of my family in the last year than I have in the last, last uh, 12 years. I mean, I'll give you an example. I, I was so busy with my business that I almost narrowly missed the birth of my first son. You know, mm-hmm. that's to that kind of level, you know, like my wife, even to this day, it's kind of a, it's in a, well, it's a, it's a sad story, but she drove herself to the hospital when she was about to give birth, you know, and you think to myself, where are you, James? Oh, just closing another deal closing another deal and even then when we're sitting there we had a 56 hour labor which is a badass labor 56 hours and even then i'm on my phone or i'm reading a magazine about some flipping entrepreneur she still reminds me about it and what am i thinking i'm on the phone oh man i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this i gotta do this and not actually thinking that this is quite possibly the happiest time for both of us and i'm not I'm there physically, but I weren't there mentally. So for me, it's been very, very difficult to kind of get that balance. But I'm kind of glad that balance is there now. And the goals have completely changed as well. I'm trying not to laugh too much at our account. (laughs) She drove herself to the hospital, mate. But... um... (laughs) Well, what, you, Andrew, if you if you think I'm if sorry, if you think I'm hardcore, wait till you meet my missus, mate. My missus is is double what I am. <laughs> right. Well, you're saying though that you could easily lock yourself away still for 15 hours a day. But are you? Do you do you feel like you? You know, if you if your wife was was pregnant now and you know the same thing was happening today, would you know? Would you would you have the mind set now to drop everything and obviously? be present in that moment you know if you whilst you whilst you could easily lock yourself away for 15 hours have you do you still understand the importance of those events outside of work now mate if my wife was pregnant right now i'd be looking on auto trader for a seven seater hey <laughs> no. <laughs> sorry i just had to get out in there um no i i could i now i could drop everything and yeah. I could be there because I know we've got certain things that are just going to carry on going. We don't have any major projects on at the moment. We've just finished some big new builds. So yeah. it's, um, yeah, I could I could happily just mooch around in my shorts and my flip flops and be at the hospital or, or be there for them or do more things with them. And it's uh, it's been a nice time as well because I've been able to spend a lot more time with my youngest son, you know, doing things that dad should be doing and, yeah. uh, you know, really watching him develop and, and see his journey as well. So, yeah, getting out of the print business and going into the property business has been a lot different for me, and uh, has definitely given me more time. I think you're one of the. You de- I think you're the first guest who's had kids, and I'm really interested to know um, what. How do you? How are you bringing up your kids? Like, what kind of stuff are you teaching them? Are you te- teaching them a kind of entrepreneurial mindset? Is that something you'd want them to pursue, or are you just letting them explore their own avenues? Is have you got any? You know, are you doing anything like that? Yeah, people often get confused. They say, James, you're not old enough to have kids. You just look too young with that glossy black beard and then white teeth. <laughs> I've got more grey hairs than you, mate. Five years younger. 
<laughs> yeah so no yeah I I got married early I had my first son when I was 28 you know so I've had kids kids young and um it's nice it's nice I mean my my eldest son he's very much uh quite a techie guy he's my kind of go-to techie man I go to him when I need to get things done I think he's just joined this live I've seen his name come up <laughs> yeah I think he's just joined this live so my, my oldest son he's very techie very into gaming a very clever guy I do try to get him into, I do say to him, I say, come on, Jay, let, let, you know, let's do something, man. Come on, think of something, uh, make some money. So, you know, he has got that entrepreneurial skill in him. He's been going to school, running his illegal tuck shop and trying to uh, make some money and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I'd, I'd like them to kind of have that, have that kind of, uh, kind of flair for trying to be an entrepreneur. But at the same token, I appreciate society has changed um and um yeah things are things are a little different you get dropped by the life mate make sure that you're not saying anything uh, yeah you want to take a moment to um you know praise her or anything like that yeah, i i i already have i just told you that if you think i'm this 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 good she's doubly good <laughs> uh brilliant yeah well, well that's good to um it's good to hear that you you know he's running his illegal tuck shop and things like that because um I have regular debate. I don't have any, we don't have any kids yet. I don't, don't know when or if we'll ever have kids. But I have a regular debate with people. That, um, you know, my friends are always like, oh, why would you teach them to be entrepreneurial, blah, blah, blah. What happens if they want to go and do this job or that job? And my, my, my viewpoint is always, you know, you're looking at it from, a, you know, you're someone who has a nine-to-five job and you grew up in a family with... Um, grew up in a family... <laughs> your wife... <laughs> Your wife's uh, your wife's gonna tell me the truth. She says, James. So uh, I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, the, um, you know, you've grown up in a family where your parents work nine to five, and I'm not disrespecting that whatsoever. But if you're raising, you know, your kids are seeing you as a dad who's working at home in his underpants, you know, in his in his office upstairs, getting getting money passively from a from houses that he owns, and surely that's going to have. You know, that's going to have an effect on him. He's not going to. He's not going to be like, oh well, I know that you say I'm not in your pants all day, but I'm going to go to. I want to go and work for, you know, nine to five for for the man somewhere else. I, I just think that the environment they grow up in is going to have that impact on them. Yeah, I mean, I I, I would never stop him doing what he wants to do. If, yeah, you know, if he turned around and said he wants to do something where he's working for someone, I, I don't. You know, I think there's two types of people in this world. There's some people that like to work a nine to five and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, going out there, working, working in your career and really growing your career and becoming a professional in your game is all yeah. good. Um, so, again, like I say, times are changing. And I think especially after COVID, I think the whole world's going to change in the way that people work and the way that things go on and uh, how it is. So I wouldn't have any problems with him doing what he does. Um uh, when he kind of leaves school or gets older, yeah, right. the younger one's probably too young to tell at the moment. But we we think he may become a boxer because he's been punching us a lot. <laughs> <laughs> your um your your wife's making a good point as well. Like you're teaching them skills that generally aren't on the curriculum of school as well, which is uh, which is obviously going to. Uh, uh, mate, I have to I have to be honest with you, and it's not just because my wife's on here. She does a lot more of the work with the kids than I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right well, good stuff she's teaching them stuff that's outside the curriculum man you're just you're just there smiling yeah yeah dicking around <laughs> so 
you've taken I know you've taken the 5am club to the next level and it's the 4.15am club do you want to, can we talk a bit about your morning routine yeah during during when let's just get this clear when Covid wasn't on um, yeah my alarm is set for a 4.15 start and I just kind of I like to try and pack in as much as I can in the day um, and then when you have kids as well you do have to start a lot lot earlier with certain things so the day starts at 4.15 and we kind of, there's a there's a few of us that meet in the gym for five o'clock in the morning. Now, I ain't no kind of Arnold Schwarzenegger with big muscles and a flat stomach or anything, but I do like to work out. I've always liked to work out. I find it helps you mentally. I find it kind of just gets your day started in the right way. Now, don't get me wrong, Andrew, there is no way in hell I want to be getting out of bed at 4.15 in the morning, but I know for me, it's the right thing to do and it's the right sometimes you know there's things that are good for you and you don't want to do them and this is one of them because i can tell you there's times when that bed's hugging me so tight telling me not to get out and it's a struggle most mornings but um it's one of those physical things that i need to do just to kind of keep myself healthy keep my heart ticking and kind of just keep myself in some kind of well good maintenance so that i can perform at some optimum levels you know if you're gonna be working long days or if you've got massive goals where you want to start building, you know, some huge complexes or bits and bobs. I think physically you've got to be at a certain level as well. You can't just be someone who's, uh, you know, going out and. Uh... Yeah, yeah, definitely. And what comes after the gym then? What's the, what's the rest of the routine? So, so, so the day, the, the alarm goes off at 4.15 in the morning start the morning with uh, um, morning meditation for about 15 or 20 minutes. After that, it's followed with some prayers and some gratitude prayers, just to be very, very thankful for some of the things I have in life. Some of the things I'm very thankful for are my children, my wife, uh, my mother, um, some of my friends, and, and, you know, for just being in good health, being in very, very good health. And so I, I'm very grateful for that. And I think it's very important to start your day with gratitude. So, I will start my day with gratitude. Then after that, once that's all done, it's the kind of long walk down the stairs to get the gym kit on and really try and drag yourself out. And I don't say to people, say, how do you get up at that time and go gym? I say, with great difficulty, every single day for five or six days of the week, it's very difficult. It's not easy. Uh, come winter, come rain, come sunshine. Obviously, in the sunshine, it's nice. But when it's snowing or it's freezing yeah. cold out there and you've got to scrape ice off your car yeah. at that time in the morning, it's not enjoyable. But... You know, when you get there, there's a group of you there, there's a load of you waiting. And if you don't turn up, they're going to take the piss out of you. So simple as. So, so there's the accountability there. There is, there is. There's a, we call him GI Jag. He's, um, you know, he's better than any gym trainer I've ever met. This guy is solid, you know, gone from being like 22 odd stone down to about 12. And he's, he's the biggest motivator. He's a very good motivator. So regularly with him. Uh, then after the gym finishes, I come home, have a spot of breakfast. Might drop my kids off to school, um, see what I've got planned in for the day. Again, I like to uh, I like to use a booking app where I get people to book meetings with me or I like to have everything scheduled and booked. And I would generally work until about six or seven o'clock, maybe seven o'clock, have a bit of dinner. And then by nine o'clock, when you wake up at 4.15, by nine o'clock, you're pretty much dead. <laughs> well, that was a question from Premium Property. How many hours sleep do you get at night? I, I have to be in bed. The latest I will be, I, ha, I have to go to sleep is by 10.30. Yeah. 
Right. Okay, so six hours, that's not too bad. Six hours, yeah. Six, it's only six hours because my wife says to me you should get more sleep, but there used to be times when I'd run on three or four hours. And I don't I don't promote it because it makes you feel like shit. Completely feel like shit. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Sleep sleep's important. So I think you are I think every guest so far has said they meditate. Um which I'm surprised by. I appreciate that a lot of um the kind of high performing individuals in the world do it. Um, I was expecting some people to do it and some people more than others, but I've been in, I'd be surprised that every every person so far has, has meditated. And I like your gratitude thing um, that you do as well. I think it's important to remember those, um, the little things that mm. you should be thankful for in, in life because even regardless of your situation, if you live in the UK, you're probably doing better than, you know, 50% of the world or whatever the statistic is you're in the probably more than that. You're probably in the top five percent in the world. So it's important to remember that and be grateful for those things. And it's kind of you know one of my one of my gratitudes is uh, thank you God for allowing me another day on this wonderful earth of yours and keeping me in good health. You know, as something as simple as that. Or thank you for blessing me with two lovely boys because it is a blessing. It's not just something that's yeah. been given to me, and I don't take it for granted. You know, yeah. thank you for blessing me with a wonderful wife as well. You know, it's a uh, it's little things. I thank everything that's wonderful in my life. I, I pray that they're kept safe. I pray for a lot of people as well. When I know people are going through a hard time, um, I do like to pray for them because, you know, I don't know if it works, but it, people have said things have changed, James. Things have changed for me since you've had me in your prayers and had me in your thoughts. Um, it's got to the point now where there's just so many people on my prayer list. It's just <laughs> I just have to do one massive collective prayer and just say, hey, if I forgot you, I'm sending you good vibes anyway good stuff good stuff so let's spin back around again let's go back to your background of designer so obviously we are, are background in designers uh, as, sorry as designers as architects and we've been messaging before at three o'clock in the morning when we're both still up working <laughs> on uh, on something something creative and um do you do you do you believe in anything like you know do you believe in flow state do you believe in getting in that zone and just kind of getting, you know, you say about your 15 hours it locks in your office. Do you believe in getting getting so deep into something that you could be there for 15 hours without even realising? Oh, 100%. 100% believe it. I think when you're, when you're rolling with something, if it's flowing nicely, the last thing you want to do is think, I want to cut that flow. Or I want to stop that flow. No. Yeah. I think, I think, especially when it's something created, if you were putting together, say, I don't know, a brochure or you're putting some kind of, creative content together for social or you're doing a video edit when you're in the flow of it and it's going so great and it's looking so good you're just like no nah, no nah, i gotta get this shit finished man i'm not stopping i can go without sleep there's been times where i will I, I, i'll be going and i'm thinking damn it's like two o'clock in the morning i've got to be up in two and a bit hours and it's just like oh, i'm gonna have to have a rest day tomorrow <laughs> yeah but it's more important to get the stuff done that you're doing then because of the because of the zone you're in the flow yeah because you know Come in the morning, there's always going to be 101 other things to do that are, you know, far more working on the business tasks, whereas the creative stuff is more working in the business. And you kind of, you know, you shouldn't be doing it. You know, you should be outsourcing it to a creative. But when you've got a creative bone in you, it's kind of like, oh, just a little bit left, just a little bit to the up, you know, let me make sure the shade's right on that, make sure the color's right on that. You get really finicky with it yourself and uh, you can find yourself there for hours trying to perfect something. But how? But you say you can outsource it, but you don't think it's important to um, make sure it has your voice and so it has your it, it expresses, you know, for you as a person, 
Yeah, no, yeah, no, I agree with you. I mean, I, when I say outsource, I mean, I, I, I'm at the moment, as you know, looking for a virtual assistant to take over stuff. But the creative side of it, I will still be doing that myself or until I get to a point where I feel someone's got the same kind of, they've got the same kind of way of thinking or if not even better, that's when I'm quite happy to hand it over to someone with me just overseeing it. Yeah, okay. And what about the other end of the spectrum then, the kind of designer's curse, so to speak, as you've kind of alluded to there, where uh, it, it might be, it, you could call it um, flow state or you could call it being pedantic and wanting everything to be perfect, moving moving everything by a millimetre left and right on the page until it looks looks just right. Yeah, the designer's curse is bad. It's bad. It's really, really bad. And I've had it ever since I've been in design, you know, it, even to the point where, on a new build, if something looks out of place, I'd rather it be taken down and put in the correct place, even if it costs, you know, a grand, a grand and a half for it to be done right. It's got to be right. You know, you can't have a window that's 10, 50, all right, not 10, 15 mil, you'll probably get away with that, but 50, 60 mil out. Yeah. It's just not going to look right on the eye line. There's certain things. What's my eye line going to see? What am I going to see when I'm walking in? What's the client going to see, first of all? And I think that's the very bad habit. Well, not a very bad habit, probably a good habit that you pick up from a design background that you take forward into into renovations and new builds. I, I'm almost certain you're, you and Mary are exactly the same. Yeah, we are. And it's um, it's interesting what you say about what you're putting it right regardless of the cost, because that's where... Not that we're frivolous with our clients' money or whatever, but when you are the architect and it's... You know, your it's not your pot of cash, and you know that you've got a brief and you know whatever, and you want to make things sure things are right for the client. It's easier to make changes, but when it's obviously your project, and you're thinking, is 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 it is this extra thousand pounds to fix this? Is this is this good use of money? Is this good for the ROI? Do you know what I mean? Is it is it just me being being a designer and being pedantic, or is it is it a genuine problem that we should be fixing? It's it's hard. It's hard to yeah. get that balance. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you. I mean, I'd only do it where I know the property was going to be worth a substantial amount of money. Like with our new build in London, I knew it was going to be. We, I knew when we were building it that I wanted to break the ceiling price for rent and for sale. That's yeah. ever heard of in that area. And the only way I was going to do that was to deliver something that was absolutely stunning and had use of materials and uh, stonework and interiors, fixtures and fittings that were just beyond everything else. And it paid in dividends because it did break the ceiling and it was a really good thing. But like you say, if it was a HMO, would I move a toilet for the for a cost of a thousand pounds? No, I'd probably find a smaller toilet. <laughs> <laughs> like I had to. Yeah, yeah, I'm very telling that story. Um, <laughs> do you want to tell anyone else that story? Um, yeah, I don't mind telling it. So just, you know, like, Guys, everybody who wants to get into HMOs, you know, it's even people that are seasoned professionals at it now, we still make mistakes. And one of the mistakes I made recently with my one was where the toilet was too big up against the wall. There wasn't enough space. And my my license was at risk of being rejected. And what it meant was I might have had to take a wall out, move it out or kind of completely rejig this room. And this is one. Sorry, this is two days before tenants are due to move in. You know, I'm shitting myself thinking I'm going to lose some rent here. Oh, my God, James, you've gone and done it again. You haven't fucking read anything. So then the HMO officer, really nice guy, he goes, hey, James, why don't you just try and find a smaller toilet and increase a little bit of the gap? I'm like, that's a very clever idea. I was just about to suggest that. And of course I wasn't. I was panicking with everything else. So, yeah, we uh, we moved the toilet. We made the toilet smaller. But my point being, 
no matter how experienced you are, there's going to be fuck ups. There's going to be lots of things that can go wrong. And along along the line, things will go wrong. And that was one of my things. Yeah, they sure do. And we're not immune to it being architects. You know, mistakes get made. These things happen. And it's just about keeping a clear, clear head and coming up with a solution like a smaller toilet. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Chandler's is saying she's always making mistakes and always puts radiators in the wrong place. That is one thing I always I, I don't I say to anybody is when you're doing your layouts, make sure you think about where the radiator is going because you do not want it where you find out the radiator is in the only place the bed could be. Do you, oh. do you want to hear? Do you want to hear something funny, Andrew? That radiator was actually in front of that toilet, so that had to come off. <laughs> <laughs> so there was literally like no space. That room was was made for someone who was like five foot eight and a size six or something. You know, someone really tiny. Yeah, well, that's what a lot of the uh, a lot of long suites are like. But uh, but it kind of is what it is. That's what the uh, that's what kind of almost expected a HMO, I suppose. No, but we got off lightly, so it's all sorted now. Good stuff, good stuff. So, what about um, do you have any other kind of daily habits that you do about the morning routine? Is there anything else that you you know religiously do every day? Or um, I um. um morning routine uh, schedules daily schedules make sure i know exactly what i'm doing throughout the day i think that's very very important um i also try to one little tip is i try to meal prep all my meals before i leave for the day so i'm not right. fanning around wasting time because i eating is quite enjoyable but when you're working it's one of those tasks that's just so like time consuming you know it's just one of those things where I just need to eat. It's fuel. I need to get it inside me so I can fuel myself. Yeah. And one of the things I hate is getting to kind of 12 o'clock, not having any food in the fridge or not having a meal prepped in a box that can just go in the microwave or that can be eaten with a with a fork on a train somewhere. That really annoys me as being hungry. So I will always try to meal prep uh, and make sure I am also on the top of that consuming enough water. So making sure I'm keeping myself completely hydrated throughout the day. Yeah, that's good. I like that. It's a good point. It's just about um, fueling yourself. I think going back to the flow state, that was something I'm not as bad at anymore, but definitely when I was at university, missing lunch or eating dinner at 11pm just because I'm in the zone working was, yeah. a, very regular, was a very regular trade for me. Yeah, that I mean, I, I even went through a stage where I was getting a firm to just cook my food. So it was just, it was cooked. <laughs> And it was frozen. It was left in the. Right. Uh, it it would come to me every couple of days, uh, meals, and I'd leave them in the freezer, and then I could pick up four or five of those for the day and just chuck them in the microwave. And I knew I was getting exactly what I needed to eat. And yeah. this is going back a while, and I was in the probably in the best shape of my life because I, I had a nice balanced diet and everything yeah. was going in. You know, so I feel it's very very important. If you're busy and you're working shitloads of hours, get yourself. Uh, you, you make sure your meals are prepped so you know exactly what you're eating throughout the day. It just go, you know, you schedule your day out. Why not schedule eating as well? Because eating is such a pointless exercise, I find. But you need to do it. It's one of those things that you know that might sound mad to some people, like you getting someone to cook your food for you. But if it's if it's freeing your time up as well to do higher income generating tasks, then what's what's wrong with it? It's yeah. all the time. And if it's yeah. then as well, you saying it gave you a better diet and you were in the best shape of your life. So it's Win, win, win. Totally, totally. So you mentioned Trello before. Is there any other like, apps or software that you that you use? 
Um, I use I use the Google Suite. I've got away from Word, Microsoft, and all that nonsense now. It's just uh, I think times are changing. I like to have everything on the cloud online, so I can be working upstairs in my office, access anything. Working downstairs in front of the TV, if I remember watching TV. If I'm out, I can fire a laptop. So I like to have everything cloud based. I use uh, Google Calendar. Uh, my Google Calendar is synced with uh, Trello. And then I use Planaway, which is another little app that works with Trello, which sends all your tasks into your Google Calendar under different Trello boards. So if you're running business tasks and you've got notifications, it goes into your Google Calendar and you at a snapshot, you know what you're doing. Because without that, I was trying to keep too much in my head. And the older I get, the more I forget. So, yeah, it needs to be on paper or it needs to be across some uh, uh, some kind of organized boards. All right, good stuff. Good, good tips there. So I told you there's only going to be one scripted question, but there's actually going to be three now. So I have to think on the think on your feet a little bit. What have you got a one-liner or a motto or a favourite quote that you live by? Uh, yes, I have, and I can't remember it. <laughs> no, I have. I have. Uh, remember, you're never too. You're, it's never too late to truly become something you want to become. Oh, of course, yeah. Some of your um, it's on my, yeah, yeah. It goes out and everything, yeah. And that's I, kind I, of it's good. I love I love a bit of inspiration when I get an email from you. It's great. It's kind of like stems from kind of falling on my ass and you know falling on my back, so I could look up, so I can you know I can get up. Yeah, but I think you know if most people like come out of university or whatever, and they're like, right, I've done all this training, so now I must dedicate the next forty years of my life to this one skill. You know, like I could have said, well. I've, it's taken me seven years to train to be an architect, so I need to now do that till I'm 65. But what what difference does it make? You you know what's to stop you after 20 years from training to something else and doing that for 20 years? It doesn't it doesn't doesn't make any difference. It's never too late to have a pivot and shift into something else. Age is just a number. Age is just a number. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you got a favourite book recommendation? Uh, I have. Yes, uh, I always recommend this one, The Compound Effect. All right. The compound, okay, yeah. the, the compound I've, um, effect. I've never, um, I've never actually checked that one out. I've always seen it on the shelf. But what, what's it about? What's, what's so basically, basically, in in a nutshell, the compound effect talks about doing little little things, little habits every single day that equate and become something massive. So, if you went out for say a run every single morning for a certain distance, in a year's time, you're going to not only have covered some serious distance, but you're going to become some kind of pro runner or you're going to be at a level that's going to be way better and that might only be by doing a couple of kilometers every single day then doing a couple of more the following month um and on the flip note it's like if you ate chocolate every single day and you didn't work out even if you have one piece of chocolate on day two it's going to be two on day two it's going to be three so it's compounding compounding it's going to have an effect on you so it talks about taking little steps uh and then them little steps becoming something bigger and becoming something colossal so it's a it's a great book man I, I think i'm due to read it once more again you can't say things like that because i'm definitely on the covid diet which is not a good diet but i'm losing <laughs> loads of weight and i'm putting it all down to my chocolate consumption so we can't be claiming consumption well you might you might have come across a new diet i reckon you could sell that for 197 as a course Woo! definitely definitely <laughs> i reckon it's probably more like 1197 or something it definitely needs to be four, you four. give them a 50 percent discount if they sign up today yeah we'll come and get in touch i won't mention all my exercise on the bike i do it's all down to the chocolate and that's making me lose weight <laughs> nothing nothing else 
Um, what's the one thing that you're learning during lockdown? Um, I am learning to be far more productive with my time. Um, people are moaning that they're on lockdown and they're bored. I would say I have been the most productive I've ever been in my life during lockdown because it's forced me to kind of work uh, in a certain way and it's forced me to organise my time in a certain way and do certain things uh, to a tight, very tight deadline. That's good. I like that. You're more productive as opposed to, um, you know, I've, what's the, is it, is it Parkinson's law where the task will fill the time allocated to it? So you might have more time now and people might find that they've got more time now because they're out of work or furloughed or whatever it might be. And therefore they're just being less productive because it's just things are taking longer. So it's yeah. really you're being productive about it. Let me see if scroll back up and have a look for some uh, questions. We've got about four minutes left. Oh, you're going to have to chuck an extra minute on because I disappeared. I want my full 60 minutes. Oh, well, you'll have to, I'm, you'll have I'm to being cut short. Instagram. Instagram, we're going to cut, cut us off. It's not my fault you uh, you did a runner. Oh. we were. I was answering questions from people when you were off. I'm struggling to find them now. I think someone was asking, would you view a property without being able to, from a video, without being able to get inside of it? So well, would you buy a property without... Video in, in answer to that question guys two weeks into covid i actually bought a property in auction i've never seen it i've never walked around it i saw a couple of pictures in an auction magazine so the answer is yes i would and i've done it before and one of these days it's going to catch up on me and bite me in the ass but until that day i'm going to run with my winning streak i think you're a brave man doing that at auction, <laughs> considering what's normally got in auction and i know of someone uh, i know of someone um who did that and if they got to the house and there was just the front of the house oh a, yeah you mentioned you mentioned no i'm not that i wasn't that stupid come on but um <laughs> but um i'd do it yeah i'd do it if it was through an estate agent i'd i'd, I'd just you just put i'd just put the fat into the numbers and say okay worst case scenario i'll find out it's got some structural damage or i don't know whatever it's got some it needs damn proofing you just put some fat into the contingency basically that's all yeah I'd do. yeah um last two minutes pile of my property is asking if the if my my um course on dieting is cheaper if he runs to the back of the room you've <laughs> got to get there quick though there's only um sorry for the first five people uh jack who's on the uh who's the guest tomorrow night he's saying that he's loving lockdown as well i think that must be down to uh getting more productive so james no more questions i'm gonna let you have you can have one and a half minutes to either tell people where to find you or you can spitball about something that you are passionate about. Guys, listen, you can find me on all the channels. James Sohota, I'm that bearded man with a glossy beard and the white teeth. I'm James Sohota. You just search me, you'll find me on all the channels. Uh, lastly, one thing I wanted to say that I didn't mention in the chat is if you guys have ever, you know, been at a low and you've lost something, you know, you've lost money in a project, just don't beat yourself up about it, man. You've got to really let go of that negative energy because it's happened to me. I've lost close to £100,000 with a dodgy builder. Now, I could have held on to that energy and really let it consume me and not move forward. But you've got to, you've got to try and let it go, man. I've seen a lot of people recently that have lost money, even small amounts of money, and they're really beating themselves up about it. You know, that's gone. That's done. That's in the past. You can't go back to it. Just focus on your journey. Don't waste that energy on there. And, you know, log on to a meditation app because it will... It will help you, man. It helps. It helps this shit up here. Yeah, it does. It does. It does. I 
I don't use meditation regularly, but I do use it when, when I really need to get stuff on my head and calm down. It's a great tool. You call it sleep. <laughs> <laughs> right, mate. There's 15 seconds left, and I think that is a great point to leave it on. Thank you so much for your time. I think that's been epic. I really appreciate all your honesty and everything that you've shared. No problems, mate. If anyone wants to reach me, I'm happy to answer any questions. Thanks for tuning in to the J2 Hub podcast with James Sahota. If you like the podcast, feel free to subscribe so you never miss another podcast from James. And if you got value from this podcast, do take the time to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast content from. And remember, you're never too late to become something you truly want to become.